Chapter Fifty, Part Three, of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell, Chapter Fifty, Formation of Coral Reefs, Part Three. Size of Atolls and Barrier Reefs. In regard to the dimensions of atolls, it was stated that some of the smallest observed by Beechey in the Pacific were only a mile in diameter. If their external slope under water equals upon an average an angle of 45 degrees, then would such an atoll at the depth of half a mile, or 2,640 feet, have a diameter of two miles. Hence, it would appear that there must be a tendency in every atoll to grow smaller, except in those cases where oscillations of level enlarge the base on which the coral grows by throwing down a talus of detrital matter all round the original cone of limestone. Bow Island is described by Captain Beechey as seventy miles in circumference and thirty in its greatest diameter but we have seen that some of the Maldives are much larger. As the shore of an island or continent, which is subsiding, will recede from a coral reef at a slow or rapid rate, according as the surface of the land has a steep or gentle slope, we cannot measure the thickness of a coral by its distance from the coast. Yet, as a general rule, those reefs which are farthest from the land imply the greatest amount of subsidence. We learn from Flinders that the barrier reef of northeastern Australia is in some places seventy miles from the mainland, and it should seem that a calcareous formation is there in progress one thousand miles long from north to south, with a breadth varying from twenty to seventy miles. It may not indeed be continuous over this vast area, for doubtless innumerable islands have been submerged one after another between the reef and mainland, like some which still remain, as, for example, Mary's Island, latitude 9 degrees and 54 minutes south. We are also told that some parts of the gulf enclosed with a barrier are 400 feet deep, so that the efficient rock-building corals cannot be growing there, and in other parts of it islands appear encircled by reefs. It will follow, as one of the consequences of the theory already explained, that, provided the bottom of the sea does not sink too fast, to allow the zoophytes to build upwards at the same pace, the thickness of coral will be great, in proportion to the rapidity of subsidence, so that if one area sinks two feet, while another sinks one, the mass of coral in the first area will be double that in the second. But the downward movement must in general have been very slow and uniform, or where intermittent, must have consisted of a great number of depressions, each of slight amount, otherwise the bottom of the sea would have been carried down faster than the corals could build upwards, and the islander continent would be permanently submerged, 
having reached a depth of 120 or 150 feet, at which the effective reef-constructing zoophytes cease to live. If, then, the subsidence required to account for all the existing atolls must have amounted to three or four thousand feet, or even sometimes more, we are brought to the conclusion that there has been a slow and gradual thinking to this enormous extent. Such an inference is perfectly in harmony with views which the grand scale of denudation, everywhere observable in the older rocks, has led geologists to adopt in reference to upward movements. They must also have been gradual and continuous throughout indefinite ages to allow the waves and currents of the ocean to operate with adequate power. The map constructed by Mr. Darwin to display, at one view, the geographical position of all the coral reefs throughout the globe is of the highest geological interest leading to splendid generalizations when we have once embraced the theory that all atolls and barrier reefs indicate recent subsidence while the presence of fringing reefs proves the land to be stationary or rising these two classes of coral formations are depicted by different colors and one of the striking facts brought to light by the same classification of coral formations is the absence of active volcanoes in the areas of subsidence and their frequent presence in the areas of elevation the only supposed exception to this remarkable coincidence at the time when mr darwin wrote in eighteen forty two was the volcano of torres strait at the northern point of australia placed on the borders of an area of subsidence but it has been since proved that this volcano has no existence. We see, therefore, an evident connection, first, between the bursting forth every now and then of volcanic matter through rents and fissures, and the expansion or forcing outwards of the earth's crust, and secondly, between a dormant and less energetic development of subterranean heat and an amount of subsidence sufficiently great to cause mountains to disappear over the broad face of the ocean, leaving only small and scattered lagoon islands or groups of atolls to indicate the spots where those mountains once stood. On a review of the differently colored reefs of the map alluded to, it will be seen that there are large spaces in which upheaval and others in which depression prevails, and there are placed alternately, while there are a few smaller areas where movements of oscillation occur. Thus, if we commence with the western shores of South America, between the summit of the Andes and the Pacific, a region of earthquakes and active volcanoes, we find signs of recent elevation, not attested indeed by coral formations, which are wanting there, but by upraised banks of marine shells. Then, proceeding westward, we traverse a deep ocean without islands until we come to a band of atolls and encircled islands, including the dangerous and society archipelagos, and constituting an area of subsidence more than 4,000 miles long and 600 broad. Still farther, 
in the same direction, we reach the chain of islands to which the New Hebrides, Salomon, and New Ireland belong, where fringing reefs and masses of elevated coral indicate another area of upheaval. Again, to the westward of the New Hebrides, we meet with the encircling reef of New Caledonia and the Great Australian Barrier, implying a second area of subsidence. The only objection deserving attention which has hitherto been advanced against the theory of atolls, as before explained, is that proposed by Mr. McLaren. On the outside, he observes, of coral reefs very highly inclined, no bottom is sometimes found with a line of 2,000 or 3,000 feet, and this is by no means a rare case. It follows that the reef ought to have this thickness, and Mr. Darwin's diagrams show that he understood it so. Now, if such masses of coral exist under the sea, they ought somewhere to be found on terra firma, for there is evidence that all the lands yet visited by geologists have been at one time submerged. But neither in the great volcanic chain, extending from Sumatra to Japan, nor in the West Indies, nor in any other region yet explored, has a bed or formation of coral even five hundred feet thick been discovered, so far as we know. When considering this objection, it is evident that the first question we have to deal with is whether geologists have not already discovered calcareous masses of the required thickness and structure, or precisely such as the upheaval of atolls might be expected to expose to view? We are called upon, in short, to make up our minds, both as to the internal composition of the rocks, that must result from the growth of corals, whether in lagoon islands or barrier reefs, and the external shape which the reefs would retain when upraised gradually to a vast height, a task by no means so easy as Sam may imagine. If the reader has pictured to himself large masses of entire corals, piled one upon another, for a thickness of several thousand feet, he unquestionably mistakes altogether the nature of the accumulations now in progress. In the first place, the strata at present forming very extensively over the bottom of the ocean, within such barrier reefs as those of Australia and New Caledonia, are known to consist chiefly of horizontal layers of calcareous sediment, while here and there an intermixture must occur of the detritus of granitic and other rocks brought down by rivers from the adjoining lands, or washed from sea cliffs by the waves and currents. Secondly, in regard to atolls, the stone-making polypifers grow most luxuriantly on the outer edge of the island, to a thickness of a few feet only. Beyond this margin, broken pieces of coral and calcareous sand are strewed by the breakers over a steep seaward slope, and as the subsidence continues, the next coating of live coral does not grow vertically over the first layer, but on a narrow annular space within it, the reef, as was before stated, constantly contracting its dimensions as it sinks. Thirdly, 
within the lagoon the accumulation of calcareous matter is chiefly sedimentary a kind of chalky mud derived from the decay of the softer corallines with a mixture of calcareous sand swept by the winds and waves from the surrounding circular reef here and there but only in partial clumps are found living corals which grow in the middle of lagoon and mixed with fine mud and sand a great variety of shells and fragments of testacea and echinoderms we owe to lieutenant nelson the discovery that in the bermudas the calcareous mud resulting from the decomposition of the softer corallines is absolutely undistinguishable when dried from the ordinary white chalk of europe and this mud is carried to great distances by currents and spread far and wide over the floor of the ocean we also have opportunities of seeing in appraised atolls such as elizabeth island tonga and hapai which rise above the level of the sea to heights varying from ten to eighty feet that the rocks of which they consist do not differ in structure or in the state of preservation of their included zoophytes and shells from some of the oldest limestones known to the geologist captain beachy remarks that the dead coral in elizabeth island is more or less porous and honeycombed at the surface and hardening into a compact rock which has the fracture of secondary limestone the island of Pulonias of sumatra which is about three thousand feet high is described by dr jack as being overspread by coral and large shells of the chama tridacna gigas which rest on quartzos and aronaceous rocks at various levels from the seacoast to the summit of the highest hills the cliffs of the island of timor in the indian ocean are composed says mr jukes of a raised coral reef abounding in astraea meandrina and porites with shells of strombus conus nerita arca pecten venus and lucina on a ledge about one hundred and fifty feet above the sea a tridacna or large clamshell two feet across was found bedded in the rock with closed walls just as they are often seen in barrier reefs this formation in the islands of sandalwood sumbawa madura and java where it is exposed in sea cliffs was found to be from two hundred to three hundred feet thick and is believed to ascend to much greater heights in the interior it has usually the form of a chalk-like rock white when broken but in the weathered surface turning nearly black it appears therefore premature to assert that there are no recent coral formations uplifted to great heights for we are only beginning to be acquainted with the geological structure of the rocks of equatorial regions some of the upraised islands such as elizabeth and queen charlotte in the pacific although placed in regions of atolls are described by captain beachy and others as flat-topped and exhibiting no traces of lagoons in explanation of the fact we may presume that 
after they had been sinking for ages, the descending movement was relaxed, and while it was in the course of being converted into an ascending one, the ground remained for a long season almost stationary, in which case the corals within the lagoon would build up to the surface and reach the level already attained by those on the margin of the reef. In this manner, the lagoon would be effaced and the island acquire a flat summit. It may, however, be thought strange that many examples have not been noticed of fringing reefs uplifted above the level of the sea. Mr. Darwin, indeed, cites one instance where the reef preserved on dry land in the Mauritius is peculiar moat-like structure, but they ought, he says, to be of rare occurrence. For in the case of atolls or of barrier or fringing reefs, the characteristic outline must usually be destroyed by denudation as soon as the reef begins to rise. Since it is immediately exposed to the action of the breakers, and the large and conspicuous corals on the outer rim of the atoll or barrier are the first to be destroyed and to fall to the bottom of vertical and undermined cliffs. After slow and continued upheaval, a wreck alone can remain of the original reef. If, therefore, says Mr. Darwin, at some period as far in futurity as the secondary rocks are in the past, the bed of the Pacific with its atolls and barrier reefs should be converted into a continent, we may conceive that scarcely any or none of the existing reefs would be preserved, but only widely spread strata of calcareous matter derived from their wear and tear. When it is urged in support of the objection before stated that the theory of atolls by subsidence implies the accumulation of calcareous formations 2,000 or 3,000 feet thick, it must be conceded that this estimate of the minimum density of the deposits is by no means exaggerated. On the contrary, when we consider that the space over which atolls are scattered in Polynesia and the Indian Oceans may be compared to the whole continent of Asia, we cannot but infer from analogy that the differences in level in so vast an area have amounted, antecedently to subsidence, to five thousand or even a greater number of feet. Whatever was the difference in height between the loftiest and lowest of the original mountains, or mountainous islands, on which the different atolls are based, that difference must represent the thickness of coral, which has now reduced all of them to one level. Flinders, therefore, by no means exaggerated the volume of the limestone, which he conceived to have been the work of coral animals. He was merely mistaken as to the manner in which they were enabled to build reefs in an unfathomed ocean. But is it reasonable to expect, after the waste caused by denudation, that calcareous masses, gradually upheaved in an open sea, should retain such vast thicknesses? Or may not the limestones of the Cretaceous and Oolithic epochs, which attain in the Alps and Pyrenees a density of 3,000 or 4,000 feet, 
and are in great part made up of coralline and shelly matter present us with a true geological counterpart of the recent coral reefs of equatorial seas before we attach serious importance to arguments founded on negative evidence and opposed to a theory which so admirably explains a great variety of complicated phenomena we ought to remember that the upheaval to a height of four thousand feet of atolls in which the coralline limestone would be four thousand feet thick implies first a slow subsidence of four thousand feet and secondly an elevation of the same amount even if the reverse or ascending movement began the instant the downward one ceased we must allow a great lapse of ages for the accomplishment of the whole operation we must also assume that at the commencement of the period in question the equatorial regions were as fitted as now for the support of reef-building zoophytes this postulate would demand the continuance of a complicated variety of conditions throughout a much longer period than they are usually persistent in one place to show the difficulty of speculating on the permanence of the geographical and climatical circumstances requisite for the growth of reef-building corals we have only to state the fact that there are no reefs in the atlantic off the west coast of africa nor among the islands of the gulf of guinea nor in st helena ascension the cape verdes or st paul with the exception of bermuda there is not a single coral reef in the central expanse of the atlantic although in some parts the waves as at ascension are charged to excess with calcareous matter this capricious distribution of coral reefs is probably owing to the absence of fit stations for the reef-building polypifers other organic beings in those regions obtaining in the great struggle for existence a mastery over them their absence in whatever manner it be accounted for should put us on our guard against expecting upraised reefs at all former geological epochs similar to those now in progress lime whence derived dr mcculloch in his system of geology volume one page two hundred nineteen expressed himself in favor of the theory of some of the earlier geologists that all limestones have originated in organized substances if we examine he says the quantity of limestone in the primary strata it will be found to bear a much smaller proportion to the silithios and argillaceous rocks than in the secondary and this may have some connection with the rarity of testaceous animals in the ancient ocean he farther infers that in consequence of the operations of animals the quantity of calcareous earth deposited in the form of mud or stone is always increasing and that as the secondary series far exceeds the primary in this respect so a third series may hereafter arise from the depths of the sea which may exceed the last in the proportion of its calcareous strata 
if these propositions went no further than to suggest that every particle of lime that now enters into the crust of the globe may possibly in its turn have been subservient to the purposes of life by entering into the composition of organized bodies i should not deem the speculation improbable but when it is hinted that lime may be an animal product combined by the powers of vitality from some simple elements i can discover no sufficient grounds for such an hypothesis and many facts militate against it if a large pond be made in almost any soil and filled with rain-water it may usually become tenanted by testacea for carbonate of lime is almost universally diffused in small quantities but if no calcareous matter be supplied by waters flowing from the surrounding high grounds or by springs no tufa or shell marl are formed the thin shells of one generation of mollusks decompose so that their elements afford nutriment to the succeeding races and it is only where a stream enters a lake which may introduce a fresh supply of calcareous matter or where the lake is fed by springs that shells accumulate and form marl all the lakes in forfarshire which have produced deposits of shell marl have been the sites of springs which still evolve much carbonic acid and a small quantity of carbonate of lime but there is no marl in lochfithi near forfar where there are no springs although that lake is surrounded by these calcareous deposits and although in every other respect the site is favorable to the accumulation of aquatic testacea we find those caria which secrete the largest quantity of calcareous matter in their stems to abound near springs impregnated with carbonate of lime we know that if the common hen be deprived altogether of calcareous nutriment the shells of her eggs will become of too slight a consistency to protect the contents and some birds eat chalk greedily during the breeding season if on the other hand we turn to the phenomena of inorganic nature we observe that in volcanic countries there is an enormous evolution of carbonic acid either free in a gaseous form or mixed with water and the springs of such districts are usually impregnated with carbonate of lime in great abundance no one who has travelled in tuscany through the region of extinct volcanoes and its confines or who has seen the map constructed by targioni eighteen twenty seven to show the principal sites of mineral springs can doped for a moment that if this territory was submerged beneath the sea it might supply materials for the most extensive coral reefs the importance of these springs is not to be estimated by the magnitude of the rocks which they have thrown down on the slanting sides of hills although of these alone large cities might be built nor by a coating of travertine that covers the soil in some districts for miles in length the greater part of the calcareous matter passes down in a state of solution to the sea and in all countries the rivers 
which flow from chalk and other marly and calcareous rocks, carry down vast quantities of lime into the ocean. Lime is also one of the component parts of ogit and other volcanic and hypogene minerals, and when these decompose, is set free, and may then find its way in a state of solution to the sea. The lime, therefore, contained generally in seawater, and secreted so plentifully by the testacea and corals of the Pacific, may have been derived either from springs rising up in the bed of the ocean, or from rivers fed by calcareous springs, or impregnated with lime derived from disintegrated rocks, both volcanic and hypogene. If this be admitted, the greater proportion of limestone in the more modern formations, as compared to the most ancient, will be explained, for springs in general hold no argillaceous and but a small quantity of siliceous matter in solution, but they are continually subtracting calcareous matter from the inferior rocks. The constant transfer, therefore, of carbonate of lime from the lower or older portions of the earth's crust to the surface must cause at all periods and throughout an indefinite succession of geological epochs a preponderance of calcareous matter in the newer as contrasted with the older formations. End of chapter 15